Thank you for listening to the Sage Aging Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Polk Elder Care Guide, your guide to all things senior care and resources. Available in both English and Spanish, you can find the guide at polkeldercare.com. Everybody reacts to a serious diagnosis like Parkinson's disease differently. I would venture to guess that almost every person's first reaction is an emotional one. But once the dust settles, some pretty common questions become clear. How do I live with Parkinson's? How will it affect my family? And where do I turn for support and resources? If you or someone you love has Parkinson's, you're in the right place. And this is the podcast episode for you. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Sage Aging Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Craven. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. I'm really glad you're here. In this podcast, we'll introduce you to experts in the field of aging who'll provide you with the information you need to make daily life easier. Like all of you, I was a family caregiver myself, and as a publisher of a senior resource guide, I understand how hard it is to come by good information, and I know that sometimes you just need to hear that everything will be okay. Our weekly conversations with industry professionals will leave you feeling confident that you're not alone and empowered to celebrate and enjoy the aging and caregiving journey. Are you ready? Hit subscribe now. Let's get started. Welcome to episode 20 of the Sage Aging Podcast. I am so glad that you took a few minutes for yourself today and are going to spend some time with us to learn a little something. You deserve it. You deserve a break. And I hope you find a few minutes to do that for yourself each day. If you were with us last week in episode 19, we gave you a good overview of Parkinson's disease and how it affects people physically. Knowing what to expect is key in coping with a new diagnosis, but it's not just the physical symptoms that need attention. Receiving a diagnosis of any kind can take an emotional toll on both the person receiving the diagnosis and their care partner and family. So today, we're going to dig a little deeper and explore some ways to not only cope with Parkinson's, but to continue to live a long, active life full of purpose as you live with the disorder. My guest today is Bob Harmon. I first met Bob a few years ago when he invited me to be a guest speaker at the Parkinson's support group that he leads. And I have to tell you, impressive doesn't even begin to describe Bob and his wife, Cecily. I was immediately taken by their positive energy and their spirit, and I could see how much the people that were in the support group loved them and it was pretty inspiring. You might be thinking that so positive people aren't so unusual, and that's true, but what makes this different is that Bob lives with Parkinson's himself. He has embraced his journey and is a leader in creating awareness, advocacy, and the hunt for a cure. He's devoted himself to helping others through their journey and being an agent of change. I am so honored to have Bob with me today, Welcome, Bob. Thank you so much for taking some time for me. Liz, thank you very much for having me today. 
Well, you know, it's been a journey for you. You know, you and I have had a few conversations and to say the least, you are a very inspiring person. I so admire how much you devote of yourself to others and to something that will make a difference in so, so many lives. And, you know, I think that when we face adversity in life, you're going to find a couple types of people. You're going to find people who have a very difficult time coping with that. And I'm not faulting people for that. You know, sometimes I think that we have personality traits that are God-given. And then there are those who grab on to whatever it is they're facing and find a way to make a difference. And you, my friend, fall into that category. So thank you for all you do. Well, no, thank you very much. It's I didn't know any other way to do it after talking to my wife about it. And uh, we just figured we had a choice to roll, roll up and crawl in a hole or go out and take hold of this thing and try to try to do something. Absolutely. Well, would you mind if we start off, I would love to just hear a little bit about you and your story. I'd be happy to. Uh, my my per- Parkinson's journey started in 2004 when I was having breakfast and I noticed a small tremor in my little pinky. I spent the next 18 months checking with my family doctor trying to figure out what was going on. I thought it was just old age coming in with a vengeance. In 2006, after a referral that I insisted upon to a neurologist, I went to my first neurologist visit. Uh, I didn't know what to expect. Uh, as I was walking into his office, he was standing in the hallway waiting for me to come in. Little did I know that he was evaluating me at that time. Um, I went in, sat down, and he said, well, I guess you hear about your Parkinson's. I was in shock, obviously, at 57. I didn't know anything about Parkinson's other than Muhammad Ali had it and Michael J. Fox had it. And that didn't look like it was going to be very much fun. I asked him how he knew. Um, he said it was because I shuffled my feet. I had no swing in my right arm. My facial masking, where my face was just stiff. And I had micrographia, which is small handwriting. And oddly enough, no blink rate. My, my warning for those with people with Parkinson's, don't get into a blinking contest with them. You won't be able to beat them. <laughs> um, he said, uh, at that point, he said, do you have any questions for me? And I said, no, because I didn't know what to do. And he gave me a prescription for Lividopa and Carbidopa, and I went back out to go to work. Well, I was walking, uh, was driving back to work, uh, and I called my wife on the phone, and she said, well, honey, what did the doctor say? And I didn't do very well. I burst into tears, said I have Parkinson's. And she said, oh, thank God it's not something that's going to kill you. And I stopped the car. and I picked up the phone. I said, what the heck did you just say to me? And she responded in the same way. She goes, honey, it's something we can take care of. And in that flash, I knew what I had to do. I couldn't just walk away. It wasn't something I could hide from. I had to go do what I could do the best I could and take care of it and live out a, a, as good a life as I could do. Actually, having Parkinson's made me more conscientious of other people, made me a better person. A lot of people don't think that's right, and I'm just saying things. It really, I left the corporate world, I retired, and I went out and started to go to work for people with Parkinson's. We started a support group in 2009, started teaching Tai Chi in 2007, and the entire family takes part in clinical trials. I do speaking for on Parkinson's issues and fundraising for the Michael J. Fox. So my retirement now has got more hours than I spent a week 
uh, helping folks with Parkinson's than I did when I was working for my family. I bet that's right. Cause I know I see you, you know, your efforts are constant. They don't stop. I love that you have thrown yourself a hundred percent into that, not only for the awareness and fundraising, but also participating in clinical trials. Yeah. Yes. In the last 14 years, uh, I've been able to be in clinical trials for about 90% of the time, most of them with medication related, uh, others with information, but I, found that it was something I could do uh, to help others get the cure or get whatever we can to help with symptoms, because we're not going to get those unless we go and help the researchers get it to the market and get it all the way to the pharmacy shelves. So I jumped in and, and took over that. I became my doc's number A lab rat. <laughs> well, have you seen any of those trials that you've taken part in come to fruition? Uh, yes, I have. I've, say, I've seen uh, some of them not make it. Uh, that happened the first five years. We went all five years and it didn't happen. But we've had two or three of them go to market and are in the market today. One in particular is the inhaler, which is out on the market now, which I was in the trial for, came off the trial and got a prescription as soon as it got FDA approved. Oh my gosh, that's a recent one, isn't it? Yes, it is. I've, I've been taking the drug for almost a year and a half now. Boy, if that's not being an agent for change by participating in trials like that and seeing it all the way through, I don't know what is. Well, it's it's something pretty simple. You just have to sit around and write down what's going on. You really don't do anything in the trial. But if, you, if we don't do this, then we'll never get to the market. It'll just die in the, in the wasteland between the aha moment and me getting the drug at, at, uh, at the pharmacy. So to me, it's... It, after the first needle stick, it didn't matter. Right. But the thing that I'm probably most proud about, the trial aspect of it, is that my kids have done trials. Cecily has done a trial, including seven years of what I considered invasive uh, spinal taps to find a biomarker, which wow. that information now, that data from what she's done over the last seven or eight years is now in the hands of researchers all around the world. That's incredible. That is a commitment to have a spinal tap. That's what Multiple I told her. Spinal taps. <laughs> That's what I said. So it sounds then like anybody can participate in a trial. Well, that that's true. Uh, there'll be certain criteria that you have to meet, but care partners, well, we'd love to have them in the trials too because they give us the background data, data that can show the norm. Um, right. Without the norm, you don't know what the aberrant items are. So. To find if there's something going on in the blood that can, in fact, tell you that you have Parkinson's, which was the big trial she was in, you have to look at the blood and the spinal taps, look at the spinal fluids to see what's normal for people her age, and then check it against those with Parkinson's. So that was pretty fascinating to be involved in that. Yeah, it really is. So how would someone find out if there is a trial accessible to them? There are a number of ways. Most of them are around the research areas in the country where there's big universities, where there are movement disorder specialists, which are people who specialized in Parkinson's. Uh, and then the Michael J. Fox Foundation has a tool called Trial Finder that logs in all of the trials that come to them and, and tell them they've done the trial and give them the data and then have someone go into that computer program anonymously and look at trials that you're interested in, click on a link, links you in there anonymously again, and you decide if you want to be in it, 
you make a connection to the lab and you go forward from there. So that's a pretty easy online tool. And all the movement disorder specialists, probably all of them, have a research arm of what they're doing. And if you get involved with one of them, by gosh, they'll find you. And if you're at all interested in the trial, they'll help you get one. Fantastic. Didn't you have some part in creating the tool that's on the Michael J. Fox Foundation website? Yes. I just uh, was part of when I first went to the Michael J. Fox Foundation. I told them, give me any test you want to give me. Just make me go to work and help you do that. And they, they said, well, come back and look at this trial and see what you think about it. And we actually worked with them giving our patient concerns uh, to the, the researchers who were creating the format for the uh, trial finder. And they were able to take some of that and, and have a product that's been uh, doing trials now for probably 10 years. Wow. That's amazing. Wow. Well, let's shift gears for a moment and talk about, so, you know, you, you described what it was like when you received your diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Looking back on that, were there things leading up to that, that you're now saying, oh my goodness, yes, I did notice there was a difference, but just didn't know to connect it? Uh, yeah. Well, no, not really. Uh, I, I was so oblivious to it that I just never crossed my mind. As I looked at my finger shaking in the morning, I said, well, what is that? I, I guess I'm just getting old. And I just put it all off the old age and the arthritis. But had I known that my right arm stopped swinging and had I known that my posture was bent over, uh, I would have gone ahead and asked the questions, but I didn't know. I didn't have a clue. And it's kind of funny. My niece, who is a nurse up in the Northeast, saw me the week before I got my uh, diagnosis. And she said to my sister, when they were out for a walk with us, she said, I think Uncle Bob has Parkinson's. And, and seven days later, I was diagnosed. Wow. Because it sounds like the symptoms are fairly subtle, unless you're looking for them. They, they can be. Um, there's a whole list of, of things that we don't ever talk about. And I don't think this is the forum to do it because we'll spend the next hour and a half saying um, words that I don't know how to pronounce, number one, and number two, people won't understand. But if you have tremor, that is the potential for being Parkinson's. Stiffness and slowness of movement that um, was talked about last week are two of the other categories. And as I look back on it and look at the specific things that we look at for Parkinson's, it's a tremor. The rigidity. I had the rigidity. I said, that's arthritis. Slowness of movement, I thought was old age and the posture was just, I was hunched over. But I also had a soft voice, uh, had a shuffling gait, stooped posture, loss of arm swing. I couldn't write. I didn't blink. I never thought about it. I also had sleep disorders, restless leg syndrome, sleep apnea, uh, rapid eye movement disorder, which is fighting out in your dreams. So while I'm in bed sleeping, I'm fighting a battle and swinging my arms around lightheadedness, other things that are motor-related symptoms that are there but are just not connected. You don't connect to us. And in addition to that, there's probably another 30 other clues that don't get connected on. They just right. don't connect to us. But when that neurologist stood there and saw me coming down, he connected the dots. Hmm. My doctor had been seeing me and telling me it was my diet for two years. Wow. Never saw me walk into his office, but if I had, I was all stiff. So I never thought about Parkinson's because, again, 
what's Parkinson's? That's an old person disease. Well, no, it's not. There's young onset of uh, Parkinson's, which is under the age of 50. I was 57, so I was right on the verge of that, that threshold. And who would think that I would get an old person's disease? But it's not. And it seems to be growing. Right. Well, I think the latest statistic that I saw was that worldwide, we have somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 million people who have the disorder, which from last year's statistic of 6 million, that seems like a pretty big jump in numbers to me. Well, I think it is. And and we don't know why. We've got theories on why, but we don't have any proof as of right yet. We think it's partially genetic. Uh, a small portion right portion right now, uh, and then we may be environmental. So we may mm-hmm. be doing this to ourselves, but only time will tell. We right. go into the research and see to see if we can find the cause. And you got to find a cause before you can find a cure. Absolutely. Well, therein lies the importance of research and awareness, just like many other diseases that we've seen. I recall when I was much younger how a diagnosis of breast cancer was pretty much a death sentence and not anymore. It's, you know, awareness and research and people like you who are putting themselves out there to help to find these cures for things that we're faced with that we just don't know enough about. And I feel the same way about this and Alzheimer's as well, that the more awareness we create and the more research we can do, the better poised we're going to be to find a solution. I think that's true. And I I think there's some commonality in my mind, and I'm just a guy with Parkinson's. There's some commonality in my mind between Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. There is a certain part of Parkinson's which has a dementia issue on some of the patients uh, that is similar to the processes that we see in the research of Alzheimer's. So to me, Shout out for those with Parkinson's and Alzheimer's who go out for trials, because I think if we get one for one, we'll get it for both. I agree with you. So let's go back to, okay, somebody has now received a diagnosis and they're reeling and you know what that's like. You've been there. What now? What do I do now? Because I bet there are people listening who are asking themselves that question. Well, to those, and the most important thing I can say to you right now is, take a deep breath, stop, relax, and take a deep breath. As my wife said, at least it's not going to kill you. And we can deal with this. But once you've gotten the diagnosis and you get over the taking a pill, finding out if it works, and working yourself into the routine of of Parkinson's, the first thing I I did was I got information. I went out into into the internet, which has a lot of excellent sources. It has some sources to be careful of. But um, if you go to ones that are associated with Parkinson's, generally speaking, they give you excellent information. Um, Michael J. Fox Foundation, Parkinson's Foundation, David Spinney Foundation, all the places that I've gone and found trusted information. There are a lot of crazy things out there, but if you look carefully and you do your research, you can wheel wheel your way through that. Um, I read about 200 to 300 articles a month on trials and drugs and things of that nature. And some of them are sure and some of them are bogus, but there is good stuff in there. So that's a good place for information. Second thing I I would do is I would start a support group because there wasn't one nearby, but if there's one nearby, I would go to one. Uh, The reason I'd go to one is because you're going to get information that's good. You're going to meet people like yourself who may be on a different track on the 
the disease and a different timing of the disease. That doesn't mean you're going to be like that when you're their age, but it's good to have people that you can talk to who have had the problems and can give you support. Uh, and that's including the care partners. We don't do enough for our care partners. Cecily and I are working our way now to try and get some more or, or get some better help for the care partners. They don't have the disease. They don't have to be there. They have all the stress of taking care of their loved ones, but they stay around and we need to keep them healthy and we need to get them relief so that they don't burn themselves out. So uh, having programs as well when you go and look is, is a good question to ask. If they don't, I'd look a little farther. They may be able not to have one then, but maybe they could build one with you. Joining in and saying, I'll run this care partner and I'll call Cecily and she'll help me through it. Uh, the most important thing I think that they can do is exercise. It is, it has been found to slow the progression of the disease. Uh, it's easy. You don't have to be a football player or weightlifter or a marathon runner. Um, you just have to somebody who goes out and uses it every day. Do some kind of exercise to keep yourself healthy. I teach Tai Chi. We have uh, been doing that for seven years now. Uh, that is really, really significantly effective in balance. Balance is a problem with people with Parkinson's. We've had a class, knock on wood, where we've not had any falls in nine years. We've been very fortunate again, as I say, but it, it's an environment where it's slow and we can adjust to people's needs. Dance, um, yoga, things where there's a cadence always helps in exercise. Uh, yoga is pretty safe. Keep doing your hobbies. You got to have something to get up for every day. Uh, my, my theory is if I haven't found something by 6.30 in the morning to get up for, I got to get up and go look because I'm missing an opportunity to do, to do something. So if I'm getting out of bed, that means I'm not sitting in bed, which means I'm using it, which is, again, use it or lose it. Social interaction. Don't back away because you think you look confirmed. Go out in the public. Doesn't matter if you go out and you drop soup all over yourself in a restaurant. Who cares? Go out and use your mind and your social skills with your friends. Enjoy your life. Get some joy out of every day that you can do. And if you can get some joy for yourself, see if you can get some joy for somebody else. I always answer the question when somebody says, how are you doing? I always answer, fantastic. I do that for a reason. It makes me feel good to say that. And, you know, it makes them smile. And it just doesn't cost a thing. You're just, I feel fantastic. And I'm sitting here with a smile on my face because I've just said that. I hope somebody out there is just fantastic. I am. <laughs> I'm grinning ear to ear. I was Super. just thinking that myself. Well, thank you. You just gave me a very big smile. <laughs> That's great. And, and then lastly in this category, mental games, Sudoku, puzzles, brain training, cards, anything where you're using your mind. You've got to keep using your mind to keep it sharp. If you don't keep it sharp, it will go away. And I don't know that you can get it back. So don't, don't take the chance. Use your brain every day. Something, just, just something to keep it active and moving. That's all really great advice. And, you know, I think whether or not you're living with Parkinson's, those are all things that we should be looking to every single day, no matter who we are. Find your passion. Find things that bring you joy. Find a way to be a light for somebody else. Gosh, those are just the best principles to live by. 
Well, there, there are a lot, of, a lot of smarter people who thought it up. I'm, I'm a thief of ideas. <laughs> Those are the best sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all should steal that one. I'm going to yeah, work on doing that even more than I do. I know for me, I tend to be that silver lining kind of person and I want to be a light for others every single day. And I think some days I do really well, but there are other days when I don't do that so well. And so I'll continue to work on that because just like you, that makes me feel amazing that I can be a light for someone else. Well, I'm a golfer and uh, didn't play golf, never played golf without having Parkinson's. I uh, went out and learned the game. Uh, and I tell somebody that uh, you take away out of the day something good that's a victory. For me, it would be getting a seven score on a par three with a 21-foot putt and say, that was a really good putt to get, it, get that seven. Just bring out <laughs> the good and leave the bad aside and move on. Absolutely. So let's shift focus now to living with Parkinson's from the perspective of your care partner and family. What kind of advice do you have for someone who maybe they're just starting their journey together through Parkinson's and, you know, they want to know how best to support them, but also you touched on it a little bit earlier, how to best care for themselves at the same time? Well, I I think... They have to understand the disease as much as they can, as well as the patient. It's not all on the patient because we may not remember everything. Um, they've got to be a joined party. They don't have to stay and do it, but if they're going to be in the game, they, they should have their money in the, in, the, in the game, so to speak. Churches, support groups, people where they can get out and get to people who aren't going to talk about Parkinson's to get some relief. Easy to say, hard to do. Uh, because they're always care partnering. But I think they should engage. Uh, One of the things we found in our caring and sharing where the partners are in another room to the patients and they would talk about each other. It's it's wonderful because we don't share who's saying what, obviously. But the conversation is usually going, someone on this end is saying, they just make me work too fast. I don't have time to get ready. I can't do it. And the other side is saying, they're just so slow. And that's true. Both of them are saying the same thing. Both of them don't understand the same person, the same thought process is being had by their spouse. So they need to talk about it. You know, that's something that Jenny mentioned last week. She said that one of the biggest things as um, a care partner is to make sure that you are showing them patience because you can't hurry someone whose brain won't let them hurry. You can if you want them to fall down. Right. I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of not falling down. Um, Yes, sir. (laughs) But it it also goes to another part of being engaged is, and I throw this in kind of as an outlier for us, um, is building a team with the family, with the care partner, and the patient. And in that team, everybody's got, quote, skin in the game. Everybody's involved in and what's happening. And then I, I want to put that together with the caregivers, doctors and nurses and therapists and that people like that, who are also part of the, the puzzle. And if you can put together a team of like a, like a stool, three legs, one being the doctor, one being the patient and one being the care partner and work together in getting consensus of what's going on, 
so that the doctor has the best opportunity to help cure some of those problems. My, what my daughter, I have twin daughters, uh, first time one of them went to the neurology visit and I'm sitting there saying, everything's fine. And she ratted me out. <laughs> she said, dad, you can't do this. You fell last week. You're not telling the doctor. And I came away with the re reasonable uh, conclusion that a care partner has a 100% free card, get out of jail, pass on ratting out somebody who won't tell the doctor. If he doesn't know what's wrong, he can't work to fix it. Because Parkinson's, despite everything we said, it's called a snowflake disease. No two patients are the same. I think Jenny referred to that last week. So having a care partner be involved in everything that goes on, especially in the doctor's office, is so, so important because you miss things. You don't even people without Parkinson's don't hear everything in the doctor's office. They miss it. So having someone there who's listening, who's helping the doctor make the decisions, who's engaged, who's doing everything they can to be part of the process is such a valuable, valuable asset. That sounds like you really have that situation too. It's very impressive. And I'm so happy that you have that. I am blessed with it. And the other thing that's so impressive to me about you is how you've embraced this journey and not just you, but your family has embraced this journey and you all have linked arms and found passion and purpose through it. And it's really incredible how you took something that could have been such a negative piece of your life and made it probably the piece that will affect the most people and do the most good. Well, I didn't do it alone. When I told our daughters, when we got the diagnosis, one daughter was coming back from school. They're both in college. And the other one was coming back two weeks later. We told the one who was in school first and said, you can't tell your twin sister this. We're going to tell her in, per in person. And when she came home, the daughter came down and was there when the second daughter was told to be there and say, I've done all this research and here, here, we're okay. And that's the kind of thing the family was able to bring up the first wall to help us fight this disease. And so that each one of us understood each one of us was in the deal. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm blessed to have had a family that did that. Did that. So you mentioned a few things before. Um, I think we're getting to that place where we're going to wrap up and talk mm -hmm. about some favorite resources. You mentioned a couple of websites. And by the way, listeners, we will have all of these things noted for you in the show notes. You'll also find them in the blog post for episode 19. Nope, I'm sorry, episode 20. You'll definitely want to go back and listen to episode 19 if you didn't, because some of the things we're talking to about today really reflect on the conversation that we had last week. We had Jenny Wolf with us. She is a Parkinson's ed educator and also runs a Parkinson's support group a wealth of information in episode 19. So go back and listen to that. But all of the resources that we're mentioning today, you will find those including links in the show notes and the blog post for episode 20 at sageaging.us. So make note of that. So do you have some additional favorite books or websites or blogs or other resources you'd like to mention, Bob? I think I mentioned all of them in what okay. we've talked about so far. The, the movement disorder specialists 
can get you to places that are safe. The, all of the foundations have uh, educational. Uh, Parkinson's Foundation has a wonderful library of free information that's available to people about medication, moods, therapies, all those kind of things. Uh, the Fox Foundation has the Trial Finder. Uh, it also has a, one of the largest trials uh, they've ever done for informational big data trial. They can look at Parkinson's over the years. I've been doing it for 26 uh, quarters. Uh, we were also part of the, the beta of that. But um, all of those, the major players in the industry have good information. Well, we will link all of those up. I, I would like to say something a little off what you just asked. And I think it's, it's, it's a, a quote from Michael J. Fox that I've stolen, uh, but I guess I've given him credit. And he was asked, how can you be so optimistic? And the answer is, if you can get caught up in the worst case scenario and it doesn't happen, you have wasted your time and emotional capital. And if it does happen, you've lived it twice, unquote. Wow, that's very impactful. We live by that. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. I think that is a great note to leave on. Bob, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate your willingness to share so much of yourself with other people. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. You're an inspiration and you certainly deserve to be celebrated for all that you do to help other people. So thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for all you do. It's my pleasure. My pleasure. And thank all of you for listening in. I really do appreciate that you take a few minutes out of your day each week to spend with me. And you'll find a new episode every Tuesday morning in your playlist if you're subscribed. If you haven't subscribed yet, I hope that you'll take a minute to do that. Next week, we'll be chatting with Charlotte McHenry of the Senior Connection Center to answer the single most frequent question that I hear as a publisher of a senior resource guide. And that is, how do I find resources in my local community? That's an episode you don't want to miss. So be sure to subscribe to the show and you'll have that easy access in your playlist next week. If you found value in today's conversations or any of the conversations that we have had in the past, I'd really appreciate it if you would take a few minutes to leave us a review. You can do that on Facebook or through your favorite podcast app and share the Sage Aging podcast with a friend. That really is the most important part. Share what you are benefiting from here with somebody else. If you have topic ideas you'd like to share, I'd love to hear from you. Drop me a line at info at sageaging.us. That'll do it for today, friends. Until next time, make it a great day.